Welcome to the Science Update Podcast. I'm Bob Hershon, and this is the podcast for December 6th, 2013. The Science Update Podcast is produced by AAAS. Advancing science, serving society. Animals that produce light have tiny, mini, itty-bitty glow sticks in their cells. Young birds that don't have any cultural transmission from their true parents in the wild, they're just learning as they go. And so they're picking up bad habits, and we're trying to break those habits. Sharks are very important to the healthy functioning of an ocean ecosystem. You might look at an armadillo, think, oh, that's just Texas roadkill or something like this, but this organism might actually be useful in helping to restore sight to some individuals. This week, could armadillos help end blindness? How scientists can tell that sharks really are what they eat? And unraveling the mysteries of glowing blue slime. But first, Suzanne Bard has an update on the challenges facing endangered California condors when they return to the wild. 25 years ago, the California condor was nearly extinct. An intensive captive breeding program saved the species. But young condors released into the wild don't have many experienced birds to show them the ropes. For instance, the birds bring animal bones back to their nests to provide their chicks with much-needed calcium. But captive-bred condors often substitute other hard objects like bottle caps and glass, which can kill the chicks. This according to Mike Wallace of the San Diego Zoo Institute for Conservation Research. They bred wonderfully, uh, hold down territories, but when they start feeding their young, they bring back to the nest what presumably they think is calcium in the form of bones, but they go after anything small, hard, catches their eye, and the chicks don't know any different. Wallace and his team are teaching young condors the difference between bones and trash before they're released into the wild. And they replace man-made objects outside the bird's nests with bone to put that training into practice. These young birds that don't have any cultural transmission from their true parents in the wild, they're just learning as they go. And so they're picking up bad habits, and we're trying to break those habits. It seems to be changing the culture of condors over time. The condors also face many other hazards when they're released back into the wild. For instance, wind turbines. Wind power offers a green alternative to fossil fuels, but collisions with turbines often kill passing birds. So the condor biologists are teaming up with energy companies to minimize the risk. Wallace's one solution involves attaching GPS transmitters to condors. We're designing a transmitter that will go on the wing of the bird, and it's going to alert the office as to the position of the bird in relation to the wind turbine. So as the bird comes towards the turbines, if it's 15 miles out, we'll get a weak alert letting us know that there's a bird coming in the direction. As it gets to 10 miles and 5 miles, the alerts will become more critical, and even to the point of shutting down turbines if the bird is heading in that direction. So in this case, the transmitter will be working as an early alert system for the birds getting into danger, and then we can change our behavior. He says warning lights and sounds could also be deployed to encourage the birds to fly in another direction. He and his team are planning to test the system in Baja, California in the coming months. Thanks, Suzanne. 
In other alternative energy news, drivers of the future may fill their gas tanks with clean burning fuel derived from marine algae. Scientists have overcome a major hurdle that had hampered large-scale commercial production of the fuel. Scripps Institution of Oceanography marine biologist Mark Hildebrand says when algae are growing well, they produce carbohydrates instead of the lipids or oils needed for biofuels. And it's only when they stop growing that they have excess carbon to deal with, and then they start to make the lipids. And so so it's just as a human, if you were to eat a big meal and sit on the couch afterwards, you would start to accumulate lipids. If you went outside and exercised, you'd be burning carbohydrates. So it's actually directly analogous to that. Their team altered gene expression in the algae so they burn up less of the lipids they've already accumulated while still maintaining growth. That will allow the algae to produce much more of the fuel than previously possible. Some animals, like jellyfish and fireflies, produce their own light. Scientists have harnessed these properties in the service of biomedical research. Now, they've unscrambled the unique chemistry of another glowing creature, a marine worm. Suzanne has that story. Divers in coastal waters may be surprised by a brilliant blue glow on the seafloor. The light is produced by the parchment worm, which lives inside small brown tubes secreting bioluminescent mucus when disturbed, according to Scripps Institution of Oceanography marine biologist Dimitri Dehane. As a diver, if you press on those tubes, you will suddenly see this bluish mucus that would spew out of those tubes, and that comes from the worm. The worm produces a blue bioluminescence, which is also magical. And as it diffuses out in this water, you see this cloud of blue light. He says bioluminescence is caused by a reaction between two chemicals, like cracking a glow stick. Animals that produce light have tiny mini itty bitty glow sticks in their cells. In general, the light is produced by an enzyme called luciferase and a compound called luciferin. And the enzyme will react with the luciferin and it's only once those two are mixed together that they will charge each other. And because nature says that you cannot be in an unstable state, molecules will try to go back to their basic energy level and they will release light. Dehane says most bioluminescent invertebrates, like fireflies, produce light in brief flashes. But the Chytopterus parchment worm can glow for up to 27 hours at a time. We discovered some essential aspects of the chemistry which showed that it's different from what has been described so far. The worm uses a chemical reaction that does not follow the conventional chemistries. It uses compounds that we have a hard time to identify because they are new compounds. He and his team are trying to uncover the secrets of the worm's bioluminescence so they can recreate it in the lab. Ultimately, we want to regenerate light in the laboratory. We want to be able to have it in a test tube. Once they do that, it could be useful in biomedical research, for instance, by visualizing gene activity. Thanks, Suzanne. Managing ocean fisheries requires tracking fish behavior. Where are they moving and what other fish are they eating? David Schiffman is a doctoral student studying sharks at the University of Miami. Sharks are very important to the healthy functioning of an ocean ecosystem. And the ocean ecosystem is something that is really important to the health and well-being and economic activity throughout the United States. 
Up to now, the only way to know what a shark's been eating is to kill it and look into its stomach, not ideal when so many species of shark are endangered. Schiffman's studying a new method that takes a small bit of muscle tissue and analyzes levels of naturally occurring isotopes. Species have unique signatures of these rare atoms, so the analysis reveals what fish the shark's been eating. Critical information in managing complex ocean ecosystems. People suffering from a chromatopsia are blinded by daylight and can see only at night. But an unlikely animal could help them out, the armadillo. Suzanne investigates how the lowly animal's poor vision is helping researchers unravel the genes behind blindness. Armadillos are nearly blind. They lack brain cells called cones, which are necessary for seeing well during the daytime. If you startle an armadillo, they are just as likely to run into a tree as to avoid it. That's UC Riverside evolutionary biologist Christopher Emmerling. He and his colleagues have discovered that the ancestors of armadillos developed a number of genetic eye mutations millions of years ago when they lived deep underground to avoid predatory dinosaurs. We looked at the cone pathway. What we noticed is that at every single step along the way, at least one of the genes was inactivated, meaning it had debilitating mutations that ultimately prevented cones from working. He says the finding could help humans with similar eye disorders, which may be caused by the same cone cell mutations. For instance, if gene therapy improves vision in armadillos, it could then be tried in humans. So you might look at an armadillo, think, oh, that's just Texas roadkill or something like this, but this organism might actually be useful in helping restore sight to some individuals. He adds that sloths and anteaters also inherited the cone cell mutations from an ancestor they shared with the armadillo and have very poor vision as well. Thanks, Suzanne. Well, that's our show for this week. In the next Science Update podcast, we'll tell you how global warming is creating a new breed of Arctic explorers, of the avian variety, that is. Until then, tune into the Science Update podcast daily edition every day, Monday through Friday. You can find it on our website, scienceupdate.com, or at iTunes. You can also check out Science Update's fan page on Facebook, or you can follow us on Twitter. And if you have a science question, give us a call at 1-800-WHY-IS-IT. If we use your question, we'll send you a Science Update mug. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob Hershon for AAAS, the Science Society.